There is indeed a sweet spirit in this place. And we know that it is the spirit of the Lord. There are sweet expressions on each face. Am I telling the truth or am I just saying some words? Look around you. Are there sweet expressions on each face? And I know that they feel the presence of the Lord. Sweet Holy Spirit. Sweet Heavenly Dove. We pray stay right here with us filling us with your love. And for these blessings, we lift our hearts in praise. Without a doubt, we know that what? We have been revived when we shall leave this place. Praise God. Just want to remind you that in two Sabbaths, how many Sabbaths? Our new pastor will be joining our church family. Amen? Amen. Pastor Felipe Suarez, we've been talking about him and praying for him for a, for a while now. Uh, he's in Ohio uh, finishing up field school. He's going to be our new associate pastor with an emphasis, a focus on youth and young adult ministries He's going to be with us from the 1st of September. And I know that the 1st of September is Labor Day. And I know I'm new to America and I'm still trying to get used to the rhythms and the patterns of, of, of American life. Um, but I have been told that Labor Day is the weekend where everyone goes away because I guess it's the weekend before school gets back in, in earnest or something like that. I'm going to encourage you in Jesus to be here to welcome Pastor Felipe on September the 1st. If you've already made plans, it's okay. But if you haven't made plans and you're wrestling, Jesus, where should I be? Lord, send me a sign. Send me a sign. This is your sign. <laughs> Jesus wants you to be here on September the 1st. We're going to have a church-wide potluck. So you know how we do every now and again where everyone brings stuff. There's going to be all kinds of dishes from all the different areas of the world that make up our church family. And Pastor Felipe is going to be sharing the word of God with us that Sabbath. So I really encourage you to be here, especially if you're a youth and young adult. Please come out um, and stay back with us. We're going to really appreciate it. My family, we, we had a wonderful milestone in our family this week. Our two daughters started school for the first time in their lives. And... Um, as you say amen for them, you say pray for the parents, because we're still trying to figure it out ourselves. They're fine, but, but we still are confused. But they've been really enjoying themselves here at the North Shore uh, Adventist Academy. If you have children or you have friends or family members who have children um, between you know, preschool and, and, and eighth grade, there is a school here. It's a wonderful school. We are blessed to have some amazing teachers and an amazing principal. And there are still openings. So we want to encourage you to prayerfully consider whether God wants your family to be a part of what he's doing here at our school. We will not be with you next Sabbath. Next Sabbath, my sister-in-law is getting married. 
Um, oh, I messed, I messed up the joke. I messed up the joke. Let me try again. Pretend you haven't heard that. Okay. We will not be here next Sabbath. Next Sabbath, I am marrying my sister-in-law. <laughs> yeah, see? That's the joke. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm officiating at her wedding. <laughs> this isn't that kind of church. This isn't that kind of church. Um, <laughs> No, so, so my, my, my wife and I and our girls, we're going to be traveling on Wednesday down to, uh, to, to the southern part of Alabama. She's having a beach wedding. We're going to be with her and the family. Um, but we have, the Lord has provided a ram caught in the thicket. And uh, next week, our own homegrown talent, Nathaniel uh, Velez, will be sharing the word of God with us. And um, amen. So, no, this is the part where you say, you know, you have to encourage, encourage each other in the Lord. And he keeps joking with me that I've been stealing his sermon. So I just know that whatever the Holy Spirit gives him is going to be just really, really powerful. And we're praying for him and praising God. So please come out next, next, next Sabbath, especially if you're not going to be here on the 1st of September. Then you definitely have to come next week to support Nathaniel as he shares the word of God with us. Well... We won't take more time. We're, we're here in, in Acts chapter 15. We're wrapping up this mini-series that we've had on the Holy Spirit as we've looked at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15, and we're going to read a few verses as we have been wont to do the last few weeks. Acts 15, I'm in the New International Version this morning. You may have noticed that I have been switching versions throughout the series that is intentional. Um, sometimes the nuances of how different versions translate things help make the Word of God especially clear. Today we're in the New International Version. And before we read, let's just say one more prayer. Father God, now is your time. Holy Spirit, please manifest yourself in this place, even through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Just, sorry, wanna, those who are joining us online, want to greet you. Thank you so much for worshiping with us, being a part of our digital congregation. Acts chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Do you have your Bible this morning? I encourage you to bring your Bible every Sabbath. If you are a person who likes to take notes or if you're a person who likes to underline, this is going to be a sermon for you. Acts chapter 15 verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Notice that word. Teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. I want to read that again for emphasis. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they were teaching. Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. Pardon me. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done 
through them. Verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe, we believe, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done, through the, done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I'm going to read that again for emphasis. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult we should not make it difficult. We should not, just read in the Bible, make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from foods polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat strangled, uh, sorry, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses had been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Amen. The last couple of weeks we talked about how God helped Peter to understand that the gospel was not just for people who came from a Jewish cultural background, but that the gospel was for everyone. Some years have passed 
And in Acts chapter 15, we discover that Paul and Barnabas, some, some characters who if you are not familiar with uh, the story of Acts, you should read yourself and find out about, but Paul and Barnabas have focused their entire ministry on bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And they've had great success. But some people, some well-meaning people, uh, some passionate people, uh, some convicted people, we could even say. And, and these people were believers. These were Christians. Other Christians came to the place where Paul and Barnabas had been ministering. And as soon as Paul and Barnabas left town, after they were gone and they were not there to physically refute them, they came along and they found the believers, the new converts that had just come to faith in Jesus. And they said, listen, guys, we've come from Jerusalem. We've come from the headquarters of this movement. And, uh, you know, Paul is a great guy. Uh, we love Barnabas. Um, but they haven't told you the full story. You know, they've been preaching to you about faith in Jesus, and that's very important. Listen, I love Jesus as, as much as the next guy, but there are some things that they didn't make quite clear. And if you do not, if you are not circumcised, you cannot be saved. Now, you can imagine how these new believers reacted to that, right? They were, they, were, they were shocked, they were confused, they were afraid, and they, 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 their faith was shaken. But here they are, these people from Jerusalem, and, and, and they had all these credentials. And, you know, I used to be a Pharisee. I memorized the entire Old Testament. I really know the Bible. You know, you know Paul and Barnabas are, are kind of new. Um, they went to that liberal theological school. But, but, but we come from, you know, the original connection. And, and let us tell you, if you're not circumcised... Guys, you can't be saved. And it became so bad that Paul and Barnabas ended up getting into disputes and arguments with these people. Now, I know that none of you have ever heard of any people like that today. I know that that doesn't happen anymore in the church of God. People who officially, unofficially, officially claim to have come on behalf of the church who, by the way, these people were doing no evangelism themselves. Right? I mean, it, it, would be, it would be bad enough if they were going out making their own converts and then telling them you have to be circumcised. That, I mean, I could understand that. Maybe that's their passion. Maybe that's something that they're really into. But they're not, they're not trying to reach the actual Gentiles. But, but they want to come along after the meetings have finished, after the people have been baptized, and then start handing out DVDs and pamphlets. Guys, listen, there's some stuff you need to understand. There's a remnant of the remnant of the remnant. And that's my website, remnantoftheremnantoftheremnant.com. You go there, and for only $500, you can buy all my... The issue got so heated that they had to call a general conference meeting. They had to call a, a meeting of the church leadership to figure out what to do about this. By the way, later on, and we don't have time, you read this in your own time, we discover that these people were not officially sent by the church. The church was like, listen, 
Some people came claiming to be from us, but we didn't send them. And they told you some stuff, and, but that wasn't really the case. But, 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 but today, what I want to focus on is, how did these well-meaning people get to the place, hear this, how did they get to the place where they sincerely believed? Friends, these people were not just doing this to cause trouble. People don't spend their own money. They don't raise money. They don't, they, don't, they don't spend their life, invest their life in a cause simply because they're trying to cause trouble because they have nothing good to do. They really believe this. How did these people get to the place where they sincerely believed that if you did not have an outpatient procedure, stay with me, friends, if you did not undergo a kind of surgery, you could not be saved. That God was in heaven looking down and saying, well, can't be saved. Oh, not saved, saved, definitely saved. How, how did they get to this point? You know how? By reading this book. Friends, I want to tell you the Bible is a dangerous book. No, it is. The Bible is a dangerous book. You know why it's dangerous? Because it's possible for me or you or any of us to read a few verses in this and think we understand it and launch off in one direction or another with all the conviction that that's what God says. And you know, there's nothing more difficult than trying to argue with someone who knows what God says. <laughs> Some of you have had arguments in your home. Some of you have had dis dis discussions with someone who is just convinced. Well, nope, that's just what the Bible says. And you can't reason with them. Where did circumcision get started? How many, how many, how many of you know? Who was the first person in the Bible to be circumcised? Remember? It's not, it's not enough. I'm hearing it funny. Abraham, that's right. Technically, it was, he was named was Abraham at the time. But yes, that person, he was the first person to be circumcised. Today, we're just going to read some Bible, Bible verses and figure this thing out. Turn with me. Do you have your Bible? Genesis chapter 12. Today, today if, I, would, I would encourage you, write these scriptures down, read them in your own time. We're going to have to move at a certain pace. But I'm trying to get us to understand how it was that these well-meaning Christians, these were Christians. Please don't miss this. These were not, you know, people from another religion. These were believers, baptized members of the church. How did they get to the place where they legitimately felt like we need to raise money, we need to have a concert to raise money, to fund our mission, to go to teach those other believers about the importance of circumcision? How did this happen? Well, we're going to find out. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, the call of Abraham. In fact, let's start from Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, just before. I'm going to read it for you. It says this, Terah took his son Abraham, are you there? His grandson Lot from Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abraham. And together they came out of Ur of where? Of the Chaldeans. Are we together? Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. They came out of where? Ur of where? The Chaldeans. You're going to need to stay with me today. Don't fall asleep on the preacher this morning, this afternoon. The Chaldeans 
is another name in the Bible for which country? For Babylon. So understand this. God called Abram out of Babylon. I'll say it over here because that side, that side didn't make the prophetic connection just then. God called Abram out of Babylon. Do you remember last week? Come out of her, my people. God has always been calling people out of Babylon. When God first met Abram, he wasn't Jewish. When God first met Abram, he was not an Israelite. Because an Israelite is somebody who is descended from Israel. Right? And you, do you know who is, if you know your Bible genealogies, you know that Israel is the new name that God gave to Jacob. And Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Does that make sense? So Abraham can't be an Israelite. Because Israel was not born yet when Jacob was called, when Abraham was called, rather. Abraham can't be an Israelite because his grandson was not yet born. When God made Abraham, this is the good news of the gospel, he was a Babylonian, uncircumcised, Gentile pagan. Living in Babylon. And God looked all over the world and thought, hmm, who could I find to be the father of faith, to raise up a special chosen? I'll choose that guy. And he calls him out of Babylon. And watch what happens. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, we know that's Babylon, your people and your father's household, to a land I will show you. Verse 2, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God starts off, God's first call to Abraham is that he makes him this promise. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. And through you, I'm going to bless all the peoples. The other versions say all the families of the earth through you. Do you notice that in the call of Abraham, there is no mention of what Abraham has to do? Are you with me this morning? God doesn't say, hey, Abraham, if you do X, Y, and Z, then I will bless you. Then I will give you, make your name great. Then I will make you a blessing. He doesn't say that. He simply says, if you will leave where you are. I'm trying my best to stay calm. If you will just take a step of faith from where you are and follow me, I, the Lord, promise you, I will bless you. I will make you great. I will give you blessings. And through you, I will bless the earth. This morning, God is here to tell someone right now. If you will just take a step from where you are, if you will just trust me, God is saying to you this morning, if you will just give me a chance, I will bless you. I will make your family great. I will work out the situations in your life. Just trust me. That's all God asked of Abraham. He made him a promise about what he would do. The word that we use in the Bible for that promise is the word covenant. Say that word with me covenant. It means simply promise. And Abram is 
at this time, maybe in his 70s. Now, I don't want anyone to expose themselves today. I know everyone is all tw- anyone here is 21 years old in Jesus. But maybe there are a few of you here who can imagine what it might be like to be 70. And I know some of you are saying, yes, but pastor, in that day, people lived a lot longer. Okay, but still, we're not talking about 25. Imagine what it's like to be at that stage of your life and to uproot yourself and your whole family. Guys, imagine having that conversation with your spouse. Hi, hon, you know, you know how we've been Babylonians all our life and, and you know, we worship in the pagan temple? Well, a God that none of us know talked to me and said we should leave and go somewhere. He'll tell us when we get there. Um, you with me, babe? No, she's like... This is, see, this is how you know that Abraham must have had gain. Like, just the ability to talk his wife into wanting to live in a tent after years of living in a nice house. I, I, just, I just respect the level that Abraham was on. And, and he, he makes it, they leave and they follow God. He's uncircumcised. Does Abraham at this point know about clean or unclean foods? I don't know. Does Abram at this point know about Sabbath keeping? I, I, I don't know. All he knows is that God has told him, go. And he's crazy enough to actually do it. You know what God is looking for? God is not so much looking for people who know it all. God is looking for people who are crazy enough to follow him no matter what he says. People who are not going to ask for a roadmap first. That's why for so many of us in our life and even in our church, we get stuck and we don't move forward because we are afraid of following God when he doesn't give us a roadmap. Flash forward. A few years later, Genesis chapter 15. It's been a few years now. God has fulfilled some of the promise. Abraham has indeed been blessed. He, he has more, more, more cattle and he has servants and, and, and he has all sorts of things going on for him. But, but him and his wife still have no children. Are you still with me? The core, the heart of the promise that God made, the heart of the covenant to make him a great nation has been unfulfilled. And so he starts to wonder, as any of us might, as he's getting on in in years, he starts to wonder, is is this really going to happen for me? Maybe, hear this, maybe I need to find a way to help God fulfill his promise. I wish I had time to preach on that. Some of us have got ourselves in trouble trying to help God fulfill his promise to us. We were impatient and unwilling to wait for God's timing, so we thought we'd try to help God, and that thing messed us up. Abram now is in a situation where he's contemplating what's going to happen, and the Lord appears to him in a vision. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Verse 2, but Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abram is saying to God, listen, yes, you've blessed me financially. You've blessed me with health. You've blessed me with a great marriage. You've blessed me with a long life. But the very thing that you promised me, the reason perhaps why Abram and Sarah were willing to leave, because in their marriage they struggled with the fact that they were unable to have children. And so maybe they became so desperate uh, to have children that that the the possibility, however strange, however uh, 
unlikely it might be that they might become a great nation was enough to tempt them to leave their comfort to follow God. That promise had not been fulfilled. And Abraham is saying, God, what can you give me? I already have all this stuff, but one of my servants is going to end up being my, my heir. Watch what God says to him. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Verse 5, he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now remember, we're simply trying to answer the question, how is it that in the book of Acts, these well-meaning Christians believed that circumcision, that you had to be circumcised to be saved. So we're trying to figure out how, how does circumcision come, come, come to be. We, we find out the story that there was a man called Abram. He starts in Babylon, but he, God makes him a promise. God gives him a covenant, and he follows God in belief of the covenant. Then he goes through a time in his life where he doubts God's promise. God comes back to him and says, listen, you're going to have more children than there are stars in the sky. Now, I don't know, like for us, when we read that today, you know, we, we fix it and we make it good theology. And we say, well, God was talking about, you know, all of the people who would eventually be saved in heaven. And, 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 and I'm sure God was. But to Abram at that moment, was he thinking that? Was he thinking, well, someday? Through? No, he was, he was thinking probably quite literally. So think this through. Here's a man possibly in his 80s. Now, I know we have no one in our 80s in the church. Everyone's 21 in Jesus. But, but imagine you are a man in your 80s and you married a young woman in her 70s now. You're at, you know, when you hang out with your 80-year-old friends, they're all like, man, how did you get such a young wife? Well, you know, some of us know how to talk to the 70-year-olds and, you know, you guys, don't, you guys can't handle that. No. But even so, at that stage of life, to have so many children that you can't count them, does that seem logical? Does that seem realistic? That, that, see, that seems like, not, not just unrealistic, that, that seems almost like a slap in the face. Really, God, at 80-something years old, you're going to tell me I want to be a father of so many people? But Abraham was that kind of person. The young people would say he was that kind of dude, that he would believe stuff like that. Watch what verse 6 says. It says, Abram believed the Lord, and he, that's the Lord, credited to him, that's Abram, as righteousness. Don't miss this, don't miss this. Abram starts out this journey as a Gentile as a pagan, as a Babylonian. But God promises him, I want to make you great. And so God, and Abraham and his family, they follow God. But along the way, their faith waxes and wanes. At a point where Abraham's faith is weak, God comes back and reaffirms the promise and makes it even more explicit. I'm going to give you more kids than you can count. And Abraham, the Bible says, believes God. And God credits, credits that to him as righteousness. What is righteousness, you're asking? Great question. Righteousness is being in right relationship with God. That song that we sing, nothing between my soul and the Savior. That's what the experience of righteousness is, where you can be in the presence of God without fear of condemnation or judgment. In a nutshell, to be righteous is to be saved. And God 
based on Abraham's faith in his promise, declared him righteous. Abraham was not yet circumcised. I'm sure he had learned some more things and this. Maybe he was keeping south now. I don't know. But, but he wasn't all the way there yet. And if you know the story, after God declares Abram righteous, he does some really messy, dirty things. And God, knowing that he would do that, see, this, this is why we don't praise God enough. Because we think that God only knows what we know. You do realize that when God saved you, he knew you would mess up. I know it's human nature, I do it too. But how silly of us to come to God with that hand dog expression, with that fake shock, like, I can't believe I failed again, Lord. Like, he legit knew you were going to do that before you were born. And yet, he still sent his son to die for us. How great is his grace. So God declares him righteous, even knowing what he's going to do. And in that moment, Abram is saved. Now watch what happens. Chapter 17, stay with me, stay with the preacher. We're talking about circumcision. In chapter 17, in fact, let's start in chapter 16, verse 15. You need to write down these verses. I know I'm going fast, but write them down, highlight them, read them this afternoon, read them Sunday. Adventists can read the Bible on Sunday. We, we know that's okay. It's okay to study the word on Sunday. That's, that's all right. Okay, good. <clears throat> Genesis 16, 16, verse 15. It says this. So Hagar bore Abraham a son. Now, you should, you should stop reading right there and, and think something has gone terribly wrong. God just made a promise to Abram that you and Sarai, you and your wife, I'm going to give you guys, even though you're in, in, your, in your upper ages, I'm going to give you more kids than you can count. And the next thing we hear is Abram and Hagar. Listen, guys, I'm just trying to tell you. I'm trying to talk to myself as well. Like, listen, there's more scandal in the Bible than on Netflix. If, if, if the reason you don't read the Bible is because, oh man, pastor, you don't understand, man, like, I need something right, I need something exciting. There's some exciting, strange stuff happening in the Word. How does Abram end up having a baby with Hagar? Now, 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 for context, Hagar is Abram and Sarai's slave. Oh, I'm about to just, just strap in. Hagar is from Egypt. She's African. Abram and Sarah have an African slave. Somehow, he ends up having a child with her. I'm just saying, this stuff is not new. Sinful humanity has been at this for a while. She's a much younger woman. At the time when this happens, she's probably 15 or 16 years old. Now, I know the Bible says that they got married, but let's be honest, what 15-year-old, 6-year-old girl really gives consent to marry her master in his 80s? How, how does Abram go from, I believe God, I, be, I believe Lord, to this? Friends, what I'm trying to, I'm, what I'm trying to help you to understand is that the journey of faith is necessarily one that goes up and goes down. And praise God that he does not give up on us when we go down. In, oh, thank you, Lord. In this moment, 
When, when, when Abraham has messed up really, and now they're trying to act like, oh, this is how we're going to fulfill God's promise. God comes to them. Chapter 17, verse 1, when Abraham was 99 years old. How old? He was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Verse 2, then I will make my covenant between me and you and you will, great, and will greatly increase your lumbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, as for you, this is my covenant with you. See, God is speaking to him as if the covenant has not yet fully been enacted, right? He's speaking of the covenant in future tense. This will be my covenant to you, which means God is, God is basically saying, I do not acknowledge your feeble attempt to help me fulfill my promise to you. Praise God that he does not acknowledge our feeble attempts to help him fulfill his promises to us. God has promised us that if we trust him, he will cleanse our life of sin. Has he not? But here's where many of us get lost. We try to help God cleanse our lives of sin. And God will not accept that. Listen, I, I thank God for all the progress that you or I may have made in our lives. Thank God that we aren't the person that we used to be. But let me be real honest with us. If the transformation was not initiated and fueled and completed by the Spirit of God, it is invalid. Because God wants to do a work in our lives that is so amazing that only he can get the glory from it. And so God waits till Abraham is 99 years old. And I know that all of us today are 21 years old in Jesus. But just imagine what it's like to be 99 years old. You've been retired now for over, for, for, yes, for, for, for over 30 years. You've been retired as long as you worked almost, maybe. Now your friends who used to joke with in your 80s about how you had a young wife in her 70s, most of them you have laid to rest. And it's a good day for you and your wife if you can both wake up at the same time. And make your way somewhere to get a cup of tea and make it back. That was a good day. And along comes God, talking about children. Come on, church. Take your Sabbath school hat off and live in the real world for a moment. Here comes God talking about covenants and children. You're like, God, man, it, maybe 15 years ago if we had had this conversation, but at 99, good. Oh, I'm okay. Me and my wife just like chess now. That's, that's, that's we do puzzles. Do you know what I mean? It's lovely. We don't fight like we used to. We, we work this thing out now. Verse 5. No longer will your name be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very 
fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Verse 8, the whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, translation as an immigrant, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Verse 9, then God said to Abraham, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you. What's the covenant? The covenant is the promise that God has made, that he will bless him, that he will make him fruitful, and that through blessing him, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. He says, listen, you, you have, I want you now to keep, uh, to, I want to give you a reminder, a, a way to remember what the promise is. It, it, goes, it goes on. It says, verse, uh, verse 10, uh, sorry, let me start again. Verse 10, this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant that you are to keep, every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, watch this, and it will be the sign, the what? It will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. What is a sign? It's not a trick question. What is a sign? Okay, I'll tell you since you guys pretend that you don't know. A sign is something that points to something else. This way to Chicago, that way to London, this way to California Avenue. A sign is something that points to something else. The sign is not the thing. The sign points to the thing. Are, are we together? So, so God gives uh, to a 99-year-old man circumcision as a sign to help him remember that God is going to keep his promise to make him the father of many nations. Now, I, I need you to stay with me because I know we're talking about something, and, and, but, but stay with me, stay with me. Think about this. God is in heaven and he's looking down at Abraham. Abraham has been on a journey. He started off as Abram in Babylon. God made him a promise and he followed God by faith. His faith wavered. God came back and renewed the promise. God, he believed God and God said, you're righteous. His faith wavered again and he ends up having a child with someone who's not his wife. Help me, Jesus. He gets confused about where he is supposed to be trying to fulfill the covenant. The covenant. Are you with me? So God says, how can I help this brother to always remember that I am going to fulfill my promise to him? Where can I put a sign so that he'll never forget again that I will fulfill my promise to him? How, where can I, how can I make this clear to him? That, that even though it doesn't seem physically possible, I'm going to accomplish this. I know, I'll put it somewhere he'll never, ever forget. <laughs> Every time he rolls over and looks at his 19-year-old wife, and she looks at him like, really? I want them to remember it's going to be my way or no way at all. Circumcision was to be a sign to help Abraham remember to have faith in the promise of God. Let me say that again. Circumcision was to be a sign to help Abraham to remember to have faith 
in the covenant promise of God. But what happened was somehow through the centuries, that thing got flipped upside down. And people now started worshipping the sign. And they somehow felt like if you don't have the sign, then that means you don't really have faith. And therefore you can't have access to the promise of God. And so now people are trying to kick people out of the church because they got baptized with water, but not by blood. Oh, come on, wake up, wake up today. The thing is, they had Bible on this. Let's, let's, let's keep reading. Verse 12. For all the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, must be circumcised, including those born in your, in your house, hold or bought with money from a foreigner. Translation, even the immigrants. Those who are not your offspring, 13, whether born in your household or brought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, if you just read verse 12 to 14, it's a watertight case. See, it's in the Bible. It doesn't matter if you're Gentile, if you're a foreigner, if you're a slave, doesn't matter. You must be circumcised. It's an everlasting covenant. Let's close and have the appeal now. But if you read all that Moses said, the picture is, is more nuanced. The same Moses who wrote Genesis, we're coming to a close. The same Moses who wrote Genesis also wrote Deuteronomy. Turn there with me quickly, Deuteronomy chapter 10. This is now a few hundred years later. God has fulfilled his promise to Abraham. Him and his wife, Sarah, in their 90s, have a son called Isaac. And I'm going to say amen for amen. I'm going to say amen for you. Amen. No, amen. Guys, I want you to imagine a couple, 91 and 100, coming down to dedicate their son. I want, you, I, want you to see, I want you to see that. I want you to see Sister Sarah putting aside her walking thing to hold the baby for the prayer. Like, th this is not humanly possible. And that's the point. The kind of birth that God wants to grow in our lives is not humanly possible. We cannot manufacture it in our own strength. It only comes by trusting in God, not by trying in our own strength. Deuteronomy chapter 10. The same, the same God is now speaking to the children of Israel. That's that, that, that boy Isaac had, had some sons and his son had some kids and those kids, there are now millions of them. And God has brought them out of Egypt. And God is giving them his Ten Commandments. God is reaffirming to them his promise, his covenant. And look what he says to them in verse 12. Verse 12 of Deuteronomy 10. He says this, trying to summarize all that God has spoken to them. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Pause real quick. Have you noticed how every time God reiterates the covenant, he adds more detail? Have you noticed that? In the beginning, he just said, hey, man, I'm going to make you great. 
going to make your family great. I'm going to make you a blessing to everyone. Yeah, I'm down. Where do I sign? Next time, hey, 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 hey. Uh, you know, I, I walk before me and be blameless. Next time around, hey, hey, I, I need you uh, to, to, to keep the covenant now through circumcision. Several generations later now talking to his children. Obey the Lord. Follow him. Love him with all your heart. Is God changing the terms of the deal? No, no, no. This is the reality that as we walk with God by faith, he opens our eyes and we understand more deeply what it means to be in relationship with him. We should expect that we know more about God, what, what God requires of us today than we did 10 years ago if we're walking with the Lord. And so he says to them, listen, I want you to love me with all your heart, 13, and to observe the commandments and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. This is the blessing that God promised Abraham. His commandments are the blessing. I'm going to say amen by myself. Amen. His commandments are not a curse. They are for our good. I am blessed when I have no God before me but God. I am blessed when I don't take God's name in vain. I am blessed when I remember every week to rest and to bless his holy name. I am blessed when I honor my father and my mother. I am blessed when I don't commit adultery or steal or murder. This isn't some weird list of things that God needs me to do to impress him. He's given them to me as a blessing for me. So he's saying to them, listen, keep my commandments. Observe those commandments and decrees I'm giving you for your own good. Verse 14, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens and earth and everything in it. 15, yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. You missed what God was saying. God there is saying to them, listen, I own everything. I had, I had choices. When I chose Abraham, your ancestor, he wasn't the only guy I could have chosen. But I set my affection to him. I loved him. I picked you guys to show my love to you. And in response to that, what should you do? Verse 16, circumcise where? Your hearts, therefore. In the, in the very writings of Moses himself, Moses was already alluding to the fact that true circumcision is about something in the heart, something in the mind, an attitude of my life. Circumcise your heart, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked, not naked, because that's, that's wrong, stiff-necked any longer. 17. For the Lord your God is God of all gods, the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality. Do you remember what Peter was saying? God made no discrimination between us and the Gentiles. It's right here in Moses. Nor accepts bribes. 18. Listen to this. He, that's God, the same God who wants you to change your heart to be like his, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widows. Church, Please, let's stop saying that social justice is some liberal agenda. Moses preached this from Sinai. God expects his people to care about those in need. You can keep the commandments and love your neighbor as yourself. You don't have to choose between the two. He, he, he says he, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow 
and loves the foreigner. Translation, the immigrants. Now let me, let me mess with your politics real quick. Because God called Abraham to cross borders. I don't see where he said apply. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not saying... I'm not saying you shouldn't apply. I'm just saying the text doesn't say that. And he says to him, he promises him, you're in a country that's not your own. But if you trust me, guys, I'm trying to tell you, this is why we need to pray. If you mess around, God will hear the cry of the immigrants. And in a hundred years, the country that we said was ours, God will give it to others. He's done it before. I'm not here preaching politics. This is the word. God honors those who honor him. We don't get to be a Christian nation just because we sing it in our songs for our country. We actually have to live our faith. Other guys, God will give it to a nation who will do righteousness. That's in the Bible. I am the God, it says, who loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. See, what it looks like to have a circumcised heart is that the plight of others touch my heart. I can't walk past the homeless man asking for money and it doesn't twinge my heart. Now, now listen, I get it. There might be better ways to do it than just give them money. Maybe you support a child. I get that. But it, it ought to affect me to see somebody else made in the image of God who has to live like that. It ought to do something to my heart to see that there are people who don't know that Jesus saves. I shouldn't be able to walk by them and just because they have a rainbow shirt pin on say, well, that's okay, they're going to a hot place and praise God, I know the truth. There should be something in my heart that says, Jesus, you died for them as well. This, this, is, this is what was happening to the church. They were like, yeah, I'm so glad you Gentiles came to know Jesus, but because you don't have the same surgery that we've had. Back to, back to Acts, we're done, we're done. Let's read, let's read our scripture reading one more time. Peter, praise God for Peter. Do you see the growth in Peter's life? Peter who started off, no Lord, I've never touched anything common or unclean. He preaches the come to Jesus sermon in the meeting. Acts chapter 15, verse 8. God knows the heart. Friends, that's what counts in the end. Don't misunderstand me in trying to say that lifestyle doesn't matter. Lifestyle matters. The way you live matters. The way that we eat matters. The way that we live and the relationships that we have, they matter. But guess what? It's possible to be circumcised in the body but be uncircumcised in the heart. It's possible to keep the commandments outwardly, but despise the Lord of the commandments inwardly. It's possible to go to church on the right day and step over the poor on your way to get to church on time. God who knows the heart, Peter says, showed that he accepted them, the Gentiles. See, in the New Testament, the sign now changes. Thank you, Jesus. The son now is no longer in the flesh of only the males. Now it says, he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. Can I help you right now? And there are not going to be many amens on this because this is going to be painful. This is going to be cutting. Friends, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you cannot be saved. 
You say that again in case you thought I stuttered. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, let me say it better. If the Holy Spirit doesn't have you, if he doesn't have me, we cannot be saved. The death of Jesus on our behalf will be of no benefit to us if we do not surrender our lives to the Holy Spirit. And some of you are nervous right now because you think I'm talking about we need to all start standing in the aisles and waving. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about letting God into your heart deeply. How do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? I know if I have the Holy Spirit if I have a hunger and thirst for the Word of God. If I spend more, I'm preaching to myself right now, if I spend more time on YouTube than in Zechariah, then Jesus does not have me as he needs to have me. Now praise God that it's a journey, and praise God that there are ups and downs, and praise God that he doesn't abandon us, but the truth right now is that if we feel no need, no conviction about our spirit-led state, we are in a bad place spiritually. We don't have the Holy Spirit as we ought to if worship means nothing to us. Like when we sing the words of these hymns or these praise songs, I don't care what the songs are. When we sing the words, it ought to mean something. Now the way you express that, that's up to you. But there's no way we should be able to just sing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me, like we're reading the newspaper. Because I know, I'm speaking to myself right now, that, that when you watched the World Cup and your team scored a goal, man, you would have thought the Holy Spirit came down in your living room. Goal! But Jesus left on the cross. Amen. What? How, how, how can Messi get more glory than Jesus? When, when, I'm, when, when, I'm, when it, I'm more bothered about what I wear, to church than who I'm coming to see. When I won't come to church if the dress and the shoes or the belt and the shoes don't work. Help us, Jesus. When I have no passion for evangelism. Let's talk now, church. When I care more about the status quo than opening the doors to bring new people in. Even if it means they sit in my seat and they didn't know it was my seat when they got there. It means the Holy Spirit doesn't have me as he ought to. And friends, I need the Holy Spirit. I'm saying as your pastor, God has been convicting me this week, Jonathan, because Jesus doesn't call me pastor. Now you can, that's fine. But when Jesus calls to me, he doesn't say Pastor Jonathan. Jonathan, boy, you need more of the Spirit. There's good news. If you, if you right now, you're thinking in your heart, deep down, it's true. I need the Spirit too. That's good news. Luke chapter, we can't read it, but Luke chapter 11 verse 13. Write it down. Look it up when you get home. Luke eleven thirteen. God promises that if you ask, he will give you the Holy Spirit. If you ask, he will give you the Holy Spirit. And you're saying, but why do I have to ask? Because God will not force his way on you. Unlike Abraham, I'm trying to stay still. God knows about consent. Hallelujah. God knows you need to ask before you invade someone's life. So the Holy Spirit says, listen, I'm available, but I want you to say that you want me. 
There's a second, there's a second part to this. All of us have been given a measure of the Holy Spirit, otherwise we wouldn't even be alive. But all of us are on the basic package. Some of you have internet on your, at home on your devices, and some of you are like me, you know, genetically cheap. And so, and so when you were in the shop, they were saying, well, you can pay $3.99 a month for this one, or for just $4.99, you can get double the speed. You're like, ooh, that's, that's a whole nother dollar. I'm not sure about that. Ooh. And so you stuck with the basic package. And your internet is slow. So the kids would say, that stuff's slow, brah. It's slow. I can't say it properly, but that's how they... They don't say bro anymore. They say brah now, apparently. I don't, I'm trying to keep up with them. I don't, I don't get it. But anyhow, and you're trying to load the websites. People send you pictures. It's like your, your phone is painting the picture in real time. And you're like, what's, what's going on? But there are others... Who, who made the extra investment, hear me, who took the decided step and got the premier package. And the same internet that you have, it's the same internet, but they have it unlimited. They have bandwidth. They can download and upload at speeds you can only dream of. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. And while everyone has a measure, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, write it down, read it when you get home. The Bible says, if you repent of your sins, believing in the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, and are baptized, you will be saved and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I, listen, I don't claim to understand the signs of how it works. I just trust what Jesus says. There is something about making the public declaration that I'm going to live my life for Jesus through baptism, which gives God access to your life in ways that you will not get unless you do that. And there's, there, there are some people here today who I know, like me, you need the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come down because we're going to make an appeal. We're ending up this, we're wrapping up this series. We're about to go to the, have the picnic, but before we go, we need to give Jesus a chance to talk to somebody. If you're here today, and you're like me saying, Pastor, I need the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's the problem. That's what's missing in our home. That's what's missing in my marriage. That's what's missing in our Sabbath school class. That's what's missing in our world, the Spirit. I'm not talking about fanaticism. I'm talking about the Spirit of the living God. If that's your situation, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm the first one standing because I, I need him more than all of you. God somehow entrusted to me to speak to you and to lead you. Man, you, you need to pray for the Holy Spirit on this man's life. Praise God. He said that if we ask, he would give. Praise the Lord. But there, there's, a, there's another appeal. God is calling out to someone today. Maybe... You feel like you're in Babylon. You, 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 you've just started to hear the promise of God, the call of God in your life. He's been saying to you, I will bless you. I, I, will, I, will, I will love you when you have not been loved. I will forgive you when no one else has forgiven you. I will, I will give you a new start, but you need to trust me. Maybe you've been hearing that voice. If you have been hearing that voice, let me let you know that voice has not just been your own mind. That's been the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And I know it's weird, and I know it may not be your culture, but I'm going to ask if, if, if today you know that God is calling you to be baptized. I'm not saying right now, I'm not saying this afternoon, but, but God is calling you to make that decision today to be baptized, to have access to the Holy Spirit in your life in a greater way than ever before. If that's you today, 
would you just raise your hand wherever you are, all over this building. Praise God. Just raise your hand. Don't be shy. Raise your hand. God sees your hand. Praise God. Uh, maybe you were baptized before. Many of us got internet service and then we disconnected. Maybe that happened to you and you're like, Jesus, I need to reconnect that thing. You want to be rebaptized. That can be you as well. If you need to be baptized or rebaptized, just raise your hand. The balcony in the room, God bless you. I'm going to ask you to do something real brave right now. Would you come and join me at the front? If you're saying that today, if you just raise your hand, would you come and join me at the front? I, I want to pray a special, powerful prayer over your life. If you just raise your hand, come and join me at the front. Praise God. Say amen for them as they're coming, saints. Encourage them as they're coming. Friends, this is what the Holy Spirit loves to do, to see people give their life to Jesus. Praise God. If, if you raised your hand, if you raised your hand, come, come and come. Raise, it, raise your hand. I'll come and get you. If you feel shy to, to stand in front of these people, we sang a song. There is sweet expression on each face. Praise God. We're all, here, we're all here with you. Who else raised their hand? I saw a hand somewhere else. Where did I see a hand? Where did I see a hand? Come on, come on, come on. That's okay, that's okay. If you raise your hand, the Spirit told you, come on, we'll talk about it. Praise God. Who else? Anybody on the balcony? We'll wait for you. Young man, young woman. Is there anybody here who's 99 years old? <laughs> and, you, and you know you need the Lord still. It's not too old. We're not, it's not too late. We can baptize you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we are standing here all over this room because we acknowledge that we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, we admit we, we've had many conversations about the Spirit. We've, we've even had debates and disagreements about how he may or may not manifest himself. But when it comes down to it, None of us have the Holy Spirit, or better yet, none of us are, the Holy Spirit does not possess us as much as he ought to. Lord, we admit that today. We admit that the real change that we need to see starts in our hearts first, and then bleeds over into our lives. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would fill every heart. In the silence and the solemnity of this moment, Nevertheless, may the presence and the outpouring of the Spirit in our lives be very, very real. This week, may we find that we have an increased interest in spiritual things. May we find that this week, we have greater strength to say no to the things that we know are not of you and a greater desire to say yes to the things that lead us to you. This week, may we find more time to pray, whether that be at prayer meeting here on Wednesday, whether that be in our own family worship circles, whether that be somewhere else on the, on the prayer group on the telephone. May we find that we spend more time in prayer this week. This week, may we find that we have a desire to serve our community more. May we be less able to walk past the needy without caring. May we find time to pray for the immigrants in this country and for our president. May we realize that prayer does not discriminate. It goes across racial, political, religious light. May, may we lift up everyone in prayer this week, inspired by your spirit. Lord, this week, may we worship more truly. Whatever song we may sing, whatever scripture we may be reading, may it really touch our souls. And Lord, for those brave individuals who've raised their hand and come forward today, whatever prompted them, whatever inspired them, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would work with them to take the next step in their journey of faith towards you. 
And for those, Lord, in the room today who for whatever reason didn't have the courage to stand today, may you give them another opportunity. Because Holy Spirit, you love us. And that you so loved the world that you gave Jesus to die for us. Lord, now as we end this service, as we eat together, as we fellowship, may we rejoice in the Spirit. And may the bond, the fellowship of the Spirit be strengthened among us. In his name we pray. Amen. I know it's time to go, but I, I have to bear witness to the Holy Spirit. I chose that hymn for this service maybe a month ago. And at that time, I was planning on preaching a very different sermon. Last night, the Holy Spirit changed the direction. And this song couldn't be more perfectly fitted to this sermon. I just want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is real. God is real. This is no praise for me. This is praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So friends, I want to encourage you. Stop by. Even if you didn't bring food, spend 10, 15, 20 minutes with us. We want to fellowship with you. Uh, we need some help. If you can go downstairs, there'll be people to direct you to carry uh, items to the park. We really appreciate that, your help in that, and to help us bring it back. Let's bow our heads for the benediction. Father God, we want to take time to be holy this week. Lord, we, we realize that five minutes doesn't get it. We, we, we need to invest more time in our relationship with you. We need to have each thought and each motive beneath your control. We need to look to Jesus and trust and feed in his, on his word. Thus led by your spirit, Lord, we will be fitted for heaven. Lord, bless me, bless us, bless this church. Your Holy Spirit, despite our ups and our downs, despite when we go left or go, go right, please do not abandon us. Please lead us. Love us. Save us. In Jesus' name.